0: But for real, please consider a donation of any amount to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera related. Operaboxscore.com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get-
0: Wherever you are, however you're listening, welcome to America's Talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, joined by Oliver Camacho, Matt Cummings, and Weston Williams. Season four of The OBS starts now. All right, tonight we go inside the huddle with tenor and visual artist Luther Lewis live via phone. Luther is part of the Illustrations Project, a gallery exhibition and concert which celebrates the contributions of African-American singers to opera. It plays at the Goodman Theater in Chicago later this month. We'll talk to Luther about the genesis of this interdisciplinary project and ask what sorts of obstacles remain for black classical music artists. And then the infamous pop quiz segment returns when Oliver drops the needle on important singers you should know plus uh, 940 p.m. 2-minute drill you get everything you need to know from the past week in Operaland with our team's hot takes on those stories and don't forget you can call us on the air and get your voice heard during that 2-minute drill segment 847 866 WNUR is our number in studio we want to hear your take on this week's stories 847 866 9687 you can also tweet us at opera box score Oliver Camacho, great to see you in the studio.
2: Yes, and they can call us during the live broadcast, but not during the podcast, because we don't have control <laughs> yet over time <laughs> and space. But, We're working on yeah, it. Yeah, that's, a, that's definitely one of our goals uh, for the season four. How, so.
0: about, how about you, Matt? Do you have control over time and space?
3: Yeah, I, I'm actually the, the final twist ending. That'll come at the end of season four. <laughs> but no spoilers. Really? Yeah.
0: Okay. If I said I was disappointed, would you be hurt? I mean, uh. we'll see if
3: you remember. In in a year.
0: Weston Williams.
4: Oh, I'm, I plan to be entangled in a dramatic uh, uh, love triangle. It's going to be great. That's the to you now. the audience to go. is going to love it.
0: Oliver Camacho spent his weekend watching the U.S. Open, right?
2: I definitely, well, I did a lot of things this weekend, but the U.S. Open was part of it. And I stand with Serena. Mm. I, I think That, that was this, BS,
0: man. Wasn't that totally BS? I think this
2: umpire just was also hot-headed and wanted to punish her. And he should have been de-escalating the situation and instead he went the other direction. And even though Osaka was probably going to win that match, there's always the Williams turnaround, you know, where like she's really down and out and then she turns it around and she makes it and it would have been an amazing comeback. But the whole thing was spoiled, and I'm really cross with that guy. I don't want to see his face up. The
0: yet. Bears completely wet the bed against the Packers I, I last night. That. Did you watch I that? that? Yes. I the, did. the headline in the Sun Times was brilliant this morning, which was Cheese Melt. <laughs> <laughs> so that close. is pretty good. <laughs> Let's talk some opera. Huddle up.
1: Let's go inside the huddle.
0: <clears throat> Tenor and visual artist. Luther Lewis is currently part of Illustrations, a gallery exhibition and concert celebrating the contributions of African-American singers to opera, which plays at the Goodman Theater in Chicago on September 23rd as part of Chicago Opera Theater's Living Opera Series. Luther, thank you so much for being on the show with us this evening.
5: Thank you for having me.
0: Take us through what Illustrations is all about.
5: Well, Illustrations is a a duo visual art aspect, so it's sort of a gallery show uh, combined with a concert element. So it's a live performance by um, African-American opera singers. So really the work is everything all together. So you could just see the artwork or you could just see the concert, but really the whole piece is all of it coming together in one. And it does celebrate sort of the legacy of, I would call them iconic or legendary african-american opera singers such as the likes of leontine price jesse norman of course marian anderson who many will say paved the way for uh many african-american opera singers but yeah so it all puts it all together sort of celebrates our history and and i think it's a unique experience that myself at least being both a visual artist and tenor having both of these sort of things gelling together into
3: one project hi luther this is matt thanks for being here with us tonight how are you doing matt i'm doing all right i'm wondering uh what what it was like to try to narrow it down to the singers you wanted to include in this exhibition? What, was it easier to decide on some of them than others?
5: Um, it was actually a, quite a quite a challenge, and I think it sort of still could be up for debate. And um, and perhaps some people may say, "Well, who airs so and so?" Um, so I would I would dub this show probably volume one. And I actually in a part of the show is uh, I call it a, a mixtape. And it's actually a video of, of different kind of clips of interviews and actually some singing that I pulled from YouTube and compiled into a video that'll show as a part of the exhibition, basically to show uh, some of the highlights of these great singers. So narrowing it down was sort of a, a, a challenge, uh, and it's still I'm still sort of wrestling with, have I included enough people, will somebody feel like I'm leaving out? Some history. So during the concert, I will probably mention some folks who may not have made it into the visual aspect, um, but still had a great impact on the, on the genre.
4: Now, uh, when you were uh, uh, planning this, obviously you're both uh, a singer and uh, and a visual artist, a painter. Oh, this is Weston, by the way. I've seen you paint. I know you can do it. You're you're really good. Um, uh, do you do you kind of find? Uh, Do you find those art forms to be complementary? Do you have any uh, difficulties combining them? Uh, Because often it feels like one or the other. You don't get this sort of Gesamtkunstwerk, if you will, generally speaking, of being able to combine both. Do you find that there are any uh, practical difficulties or, or artistic rewards that come of being both?
5: Well, at first, it was a very either-or sort of track for me, and some some of my art teachers were kind of disappointed that I said I wanted to <laughs> go around the singing track, and then vice versa. When I when I started sort of unveiling more of my visual art, people were saying, "Well, I hope you don't stop singing." And so, what I discovered was instead of sort of compartmentalizing, like you mentioned, Gesamtspiel, it's 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 that concept of that's really what opera is. That's opera is is the combination of several different forms coming into one. So with this particular project, my idea behind it is sort of reframing what a recital is or what a concert is. Because many people will talk about, oh, well, this is performance practice. Performance practice dictates that you come out and stand in front of the piano, you take one bow, acknowledge your pianist, and then (laughs) then sing. Whereas, you know, who decides these rules? So it's sort of like, let's reframe it. Let's come, and, and in a time where we're competing with so many different types of media, with with different types of uh, people uh, getting their entertainment from different uh, avenues, it sort of brings people back into the recital hall while also bringing them into the gallery at the same time. At least that's my hope.
4: Now, this is a part of uh, Chicago Opera Theater's new um, uh, Living Opera series. Uh, Do you see this uh, as—where do you see this fitting in— because you earlier you talked about a, you know you kind of wanted this to be volume 1 of many more to come uh but do you how do you see this theme uh especially of african american contributions to opera becoming something that comes up again in a living opera series or in other aspects of uh, C, uh COT's uh performance schedule going forward Sure, absolutely
5: um well opera is well, it should be, you know, I like like uh, COT's mission says uh, a living art form, for instance. Um, so I believe that the place for something, a project like this, well, the first, I'll go back. The working title of this project for me, before I came up with something to nail it down and I got a little help from uh, the COT marketing people, um, <laughs> was Seeing Us and Us as Being in Quotation, Seeing Us in Opera, Us Being African American. So for me, it wasn't it wasn't anything because I had experienced it um, firsthand myself, just being a singer, but also performing in works like 40 and best and uh, having so many friends and acquaintances that were African American singers. But being if I were putting myself in a in a position of an outsider, how do I approach opera? How how do I you know maybe I'm from you know a more urban area, or, you know, but how do I approach this idiom? And for me, it was seeing. Uh, The past was seeing that there were people who were already involved. I tell the story of back when I'm I'm an older uh, millennial
6: myself,
5: (laughs) Um, but back in the time before digital music was as popular as it is, you had to go to the library and check out CDs and maybe burn those CDs. You know, maybe illegally burn those CDs. But um, I found a CD of Kathleen Battle. I had no. This was about sixteen or seventeen. I had no idea about opera about classical singing but here was this elegant black lady who they said was singing opera so i got her cd and my mind was blown that this this voice was there and that she was singing in these languages and it was just so magnificent so my are we talking about the
2: carnegie hall recital this is oliver by the way
5: uh actually (laughs) hi oliver (laughs) actually it was her a classic portrait so it was sort of like a, a kind of retrospective type of album that had a little bit of everything um kind of started with omio Papino babino and went all the way through uh her singing some ellington songs which is actually hmm. fabulous um so um so my idea was to go back to our past and and now in a time where these ancestry and genealogy sites are being so popular heritage seems to be something of importance so part of seeing us in opera perhaps would be seeing our heritage or seeing the people who came before us. And as, and as a series moving forward for maybe Chicago Opera Theater in particular is already, and one of the things that I can, I can uh, phrase them for, is that you already will see on the, the main stages of Chicago Opera Theater, you will see African-Americans in the majority of their productions in, in major roles, if not leading roles. And seeing that continue and maybe also seeing more commissioned works that are featuring more of the African American experience. I think that you'll definitely see more of moving forward. And I think you see that trend in um, other opera companies, especially uh, regional companies such as like a, a Opera Theater St. Louis.
4: Now, uh, now, obviously, even though we, I think over the past several years there's been an increase in uh, the visibility, at least, of African-American performers and singers on the operatic stage. Um, But we're... I think it's fair to say we're not there yet, you know, in terms of in terms of there are still these systemic uh, obstacles and barriers in place. Um, What what kind of barriers do you think still need to be overcome for uh, these black artists, these African-American artists, not just in opera, but in the classical music world as a whole? What are those issues that you see still need to be addressed?
3: Absolutely.
5: I think it boils down to administration and not only just administration in the managerial sense of, you know, dollars and cents, who's, who's the programming, but also in the artistic um, administration. Who's, who's directing the pieces? Who's, who's crafting them? Who's composing them? Who, who do these people have in mind? And, and representation. This is why it's sort of in, I like that these are portraits and, and that it is just outright representation. Like some people will like, critique that, oh, it's not as abstract enough not, you know, there's not enough symbolism or something like that, but there is something to be said for representation, and I think I, I had a revelatory moment when I was doing a production of uh, Porgy and Bess somewhere that will not be named, um, but I saw that the, the, the director, the conductor, um, all the coaches, everyone around me was tell- was talking to me and telling me how to sing like a black person, how to act like a black person in that experience. You know, Not to say that there is not something that can absolutely be gained from them, absolutely, most definitely. Um, but there was something about someone from a different experience level who may not have lived this experience, sort of reflecting that back onto me. So what I, I felt like I was getting was a reproduced version of something that I actually might have known better than the actual person directing me. So I think the key is to get more african-americans behind the table like it's wonderful that we are more performers and that we're out front you, see, you know you see a, a lot of strides being made even in uh, like ballet for example, you get missy copeland uh you know, a lot of these in minnesota the conductor that sort of went viral i think uh, roger cox that was his name you've seen more of this sort of uh, come about and i think that's going to be the real game changer are people who are in the room when the decisions are being made well before the production's been cast, designed, et cetera, et
0: cetera. It's Opera Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. We're talking with tenor and visual artist Luther Lewis. He's currently part of Illustrations, a gallery exhibition and concert celebrating the contributions of African-American singers to opera.
2: I wanted to have have two questions. One is actually not a question. One is the dovetail on what you were just speaking about as far as diversifying Mm -hmm. um, the administration. I've been Mm -hmm. doing a lot of thinking about this because uh, this is a a topic that's really near and dear to my heart. And I just have to say, to like draw the line in the sand, uh, we are the next generation of creators and administrators, and hopefully I won't get hit by a bus before I, I reached like the, the height of my career. but um I have to say that in my experience, there are some people who are controlling all of the young artists programs and making really all of the decisions for who goes forward uh, in the American opera circuit like who you know gets to go to this program and who gets to you know come to this school and who gets to go to this apprenticeship It seems to be just a small handful of people who are making these decisions and they happen to be, you know, very similar in age and in race and probably gender. And that to me is where we have to start. Like if we want to change things because, you know, their criteria might've been set long ago in their minds as what, what a good singer is and what, what are the right, what's the right training, what are the right qualifications. And I'm so looking forward to singers. Like we have a singer named Whitney Morrison here in Chicago Mm -hmm. who, um, You know, I I don't know her whole life's history, but I understand that she's like, you know, she has training from maybe her spiritual upbringing, you know, maybe singing gospel. I don't know exactly what, but I understand that she's done a lot of music in that arena. And man, what a voice she has. And um, I think it's very exciting to hear her sing uh, with the Ryan Opera Center. And she's getting a lot of plum roles with Ryan Opera Center. And just hearing that so unique and definitely black tone quality which makes music that we've heard a gajillion times just sound different, you know? Yeah. The, other, the other thing I wanted to say, that wasn't a question. I just wanted to talk for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but I did want to say is, like, how does the repertoire of uh, this concert, or did you curate it, and how does it relate to uh, the art? Sure.
5: I was in a, I've been in a consultation with uh, Lydia uh, Yankoskaya, Yankoskaya yes, up too, but yeah. friend <laughs> of the
2: too pod, bad.
5: yeah, um, to help craft the program. But I had an idea early on in mind um, to make sure that, of course, opera was represented, but also the majority, I would say probably nearly two-thirds of the program are either spirituals or compositions by African-American composers. And that's sort of been a something that's been um, a trend among at least the black singer community Over the past few years, for instance, there is a uh, a website, and it's a Facebook group, uh, called the African American Art Song Alliance, or I think the website is artsongalliance.org. And it basically promotes performers, composers, people who have sort of uh, pushed forward the art song idiom, but within the African American community. And so I'm trying to make sure that we include um, some of those uh, for H. Leslie Adams, Harry Key Burley. Um, there are also some Samuel Barber songs that were composed um, specifically with Leontine Price in mind. So there's some kind of tie-in with our history and also keeping these songs and these composers being performed around the country.
2: Nice. I I love that idea. I love promoting uh, that music. But I also want to say that we should start thinking about this in a more meta way. And I'd love if mm-hmm. somebody did a tribute to Jesse Norman and Kathleen Battle and did recreated their spirituals in concert and even the clothing, uh, <laughs> or, or iconic tribute. in its own right, yeah. <laughs> or a tribute to that famous concert with Shirley Barrett and Grace Bunbury where they looked oh, yeah. like they hated each other the, the whole time. You know? Oh my god! I and just it. sing that repertoire, you know? Yes. Is that next what for you? Are you gonna. That you
5: said that. Say again. Uh, it's interesting that you said that. Uh, my good friend, who's actually on the concert, her name is uh, Joelle Lamar. She does have a one-woman show called The Violet Hour. And it's all about Leontine Price. She puts on the accent. She has this whole thing. So hopefully that'll get some. I think she was playing at the Fringe Festival, if I'm not mistaken. I hope I'm not mistaken that. Huh. But uh, it's actually pretty fabulous. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's
4: that's so that's so great. Um, I, I was uh, I was kind of struck by the. Um, the, the inclusion of Samuel Barber songs in particular for Leontine Price. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we uh, we recently, uh, on this, well, I guess not too recently now, but we uh, inducted Leontine Price into our uh, Opera Box Score Hall of Fame. She was my first round draft pick, I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, she's, just, she's just absolutely phenomenal.
2: And there's that movie that's now on PBS, The Opera House. Um, the documentary oh, about yeah. the opening of the new Met in Lincoln Center.
4: Exactly. She, she's, she's such like an, an ambassador for the sort of the African-American voice in the, uh, in the operatic community. And so I was kind mm-hmm. of wondering uh, if anyone listening to the show was interested in sort of, m- maybe they have lots of opera, but they don't really know about uh, composers or singers. If they were interested in learning about the contributions of Amer- African-Americans to opera, where might you direct them first?
5: I, honestly YouTube I think YouTube <laughs> just is type the in best black <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh,
5: I would type in the Leontine price VC uh, Dante. I mean I think once you go down the Leontine price more uh, of uh, rabbit falls and <laughs> the possibilities <laughs> are endless after that um again the art song Alliance website will have a list of different artists to look up Um yeah different facebook groups that are out there that are promoting african American singers and things like that but honestly just go go to youtube go see you know some of their prominent recordings and i and uh yeah lency Price, jesse norman uh, Marion Anderson just look them up and see uh, what comes up
2: there was a um opera wire article in 2017 uh that you know sort of highlights uh black singers for black history month and opera now podcast uh the 10 years that that show ran uh usually in february as we um dedicated uh, a certain segment to african-american <laughs> singers so you can go back 10 years worth of opera now podcast <laughs> and listen you? to that.
4: <laughs> you're just you're just pulling for for the other podcast <laughs> i see how it is oliver <laughs>
0: Tickets for illustrations can be found on the Goodman Theater website, theater with an R-E dot org, or via Chicago Opera Theater's website. It's on September 23rd at 3 o'clock and Seven o'clock, Luther Lewis, toy, toy, toy for that later this month. Hey, and don't forget to paint Sheryl for love of God. All
5: right.
0: Once again, Luther Lewis, thank you so much for being on the show with us tonight.
5: Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Our infamous pop quiz segment is coming up, and you can play along. That's next, only on Opera Box Score and WFM, Evanston, Chicago.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. So, we call ourselves America's talk radio show about opera. Why? Because we are. With an ever-growing base of fans subscribing to the OBS podcast and a stadium full of listeners tuning into our live broadcast, we are in the ear holes of the opera audience you want to reach. Want to promote your opera-related service or event? Or propose to the barahunk hunk in your life? Maybe you just want the sound of your name memorialized on air by our announcer, Norm Waddell. Anything's possible. Drop us a line at OperaBoxScore at gmail.com for rates and availability. Opera Class.
1: Sports Radio Crash. This is Opera Box Score.
0: Welcome back to the show, everybody. Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Uh, Shana Tov, by the way... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hashanah, happy 57.79.
2: Nice.
4: That's a good number.
0: It's a great number. Yeah. Here's yeah. another number I want to give you. Last um, Thursday, was it? Tobias and I went to Ravinia to see 50 Cent. <laughs> <laughs> How was
4: it?
3: How'd it go?
0: It was phenomenal.
3: I bet.
4: I like, bet.
0: Toby was smiling the entire time. Mm. <laughs> he Aww. couldn't stop smiling. I he mean, just he's basically so a
3: golden retriever, an adolescent golden retriever. <laughs> he's not a puppy. I mean, He's, like, yeah. just starting to get into his full body size, but, like, too much energy.
1: That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> this is Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and, oh, yeah, Matt Cummings. (laughs) Pop quiz. Oh, boy.
0: You know, when Norm did that, uh, Weston Williams was just a glimmer in our eye. (laughs) just a glimmer. (laughs) And uh, this is your first pop quiz, right? Yeah, yeah. And
4: it is not a good sign that my name wasn't included because I feel like I'm going to bomb. (laughs) I mean, he barely remembered me. All you got (laughs) to do is win. Oh, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Matt Cummings. Uh, (laughs) All right, here we go. I'm ready for this, George. So um, I had prepared this quiz uh, with the intention of uh, seeing testing Luther, L- Luther Lewis's ear. I almost called him Lex Luther. I wonder how, m- how often that happens <laughs> Um And I was just thinking about, you know, uh, illustrations and some of the artists that he's chosen to highlight. And I was thinking, you know what? There are so many African-American uh, singers. I think they're all Americans. Um, I wonder if we can just do a drop the needle on some of the ones that I care about Ooh. and see if, if the panel here would recognize them. So we're going to do four rounds uh, we're gonna start with weston uh, there's uh, each of you gets to listen to your clip for about 30 seconds and if you can't um, get the correct answer uh, the opponent gets to steal the point uh-huh. so okay, okay let's let's listen to our first drop the needle <laughs>
7: Tout a et les guitares sous des
4: Oh, I love that part. Uh, it's so much fun.
2: Yes, isn't it? And now, <laughs> now I have to guess who it is. Well, I mean, oh, okay. the repertoire is, sort of, is the dead giveaway on that one. Okay.
4: Um, uh, this is a good question. Uh, I, uh, I'm i leaning, because uh, it's a slightly it's a lower voice, I'm leaning towards uh,
2: Shirley Verrett. Okay, um, Matt. Do you have? Uh, do you want to steal that one? I think that's. Uh, <laughs> I, I think it? that that is Grace Bumbry. Oh, that, oh that shoot, is of in fact it is. Grace yes. Bumbry. And before we recap that performance, let's listen to the second clip. This is uh, Matt's round.
3: Charlie Barrett.
2: Oh wow! Oh. I didn't think I, yeah,
3: I, I I'm I'm misled. It
2: doesn't sound like West, her. Weston? You're
3: you're leading. No, Weston. I, I, I will. If it's not, I
2: mean, I yeah. Mm. Okay, that's fine. Don't don't waffle. <laughs> uh, George, you have any be? <laughs> I mic? don't. I
0: got Grace Bunbury. I didn't say it out loud, okay. but I knew it was okay. Well, so the sure so first, sure first Cameron, singer so. was Grace Bunbury. Yeah. um, born in
2: 1937. Uh, a mezzo soprano who transitioned to soprano and sang roles like Norma. Mm. Uh, Carmen was a big role for yeah. her, though. And then she tr- yeah. transitioned back to mezzo soprano at the end. But um, I mean, this woman, amazing upper extension. And um, if you listen to interviews of her um, back in the day, like she was so arrogant in such an amazing way. Like just what she thought of herself, it was that we should all love ourselves as much as Grace Bunbury loved herself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really inspiring. Uh, the other singer, a much more humble, but never no less amazing, uh, Verdi soprano named Martina Arroyo. Uh, I, oh, Arroyo, uh, of yeah, course. And one of the s- distinguishing factors of Grace Bunbury is in fact the soprano-ish, top and the distinguishing factor for me of Martina Arroyo besides the Verity and it not being Lane Teen Price, which is very obvious, um, (laughs) is the way she doesn't incorporate chest voice. Like she really brings the head voice down as low as it possibly can go. And it makes her top soar and sound so, you know, bright, uh, which is a little bit unusual for African-American singers. I find that African-American singers really do have that kind of dusky more earthy quality, and, and Martina Royal's voice somehow always managed to be it's more gleam, pure. It's always yeah.
3: totally gleaming. Well, and yeah, and isn't, pure.
2: isn't that sort of like a,
4: a slightly older singing style? Like I associate that with like first half of the 20th century style of
2: singing uh, in my head. I don't know if that's actually I accurate that, at all. I, I don't know about that, but I mean, just there's something that is in Italianate about Martina Arroyo—the way she does not use her chest voice, right? But everything else about her phrasing and you know the tone quality. Uh, are so right for Verdi. What know? opera was that from? That was Moroma, Prima in Grazia from uh, Ballo in Mascara. Mm. Mm. All right, the next round. We'll start with Weston.
4: I'm going to be honest with you. Do you recognize the opera? Oh, uh, I wasn't even paying attention to the opera. I was okay. concentrating so hard <laughs> okay. on
0: the voice. <laughs> it's, it's Puccini. No?
2: Oh, wow. Um, how uh, about you, Matt? We're just I all did not really recognize badly. that clip. You I, didn't recognize the clip? No. Okay. Okay, did you recognize the
3: singer? No, I, I would guess maybe George Shirley, but I don't think that okay. that's it that's was, right. It was, in fact, George
2: Shirley. Yes. Oh. Hey, that's yeah, what yeah. I was going to say. It was George Shirley. Um, let's hear the other clip before we <laughs> talk about these two. <laughs>
7: Che city the city of the city of the the city of the city
2: matt cummings
3: i have to say i i am i can't think of an african-american countertenor off the top of my head right now okay i uh
4: i mm, i i i I think i know who it is but i don't know what his name is (laughs) (laughs) i I, I can picture him in my head i've i've heard him sing i've seen clips on youtube and it is going to absolutely kill me until you tell me what okay. the answer is.
2: Well, um, so Matt wins this round again. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh no! Th- so the first singer was George Shirley, uh, who was the first African American tenor to sing at the Met. Hmm. Uh, he won a Grammy, or he w- was part of a Grammy-winning recording of Mozart's Così Fantute, and he made an amazing recording of Pelleas and Melisande, which we sampled. That was the, uh, the the tower scene, the hair, the hair all over that my would face. That um, he definitely has a sort of a baritonal quality, uh, but a really, really beautiful voice. And now is celebrated as a teacher. I think at Michigan,
3: I believe he's retired. Okay. but but did teach in Michigan for a very long time.
2: So this category has to do with firsts and with uh, African American men entering into uh, you know arenas where there aren't many other represented. Uh, so Derek Lee Reagan, the countertenor. Mm. Uh, there are very few uh, African American countertenors. Um, I like think the other one we could think of is Reggie Mo- Mobley. Right. Uh, and then there's that John Holiday that we uh, talked about a couple months ago. Uh, Holloway? Holiday. I oh, who? yeah, of course. Uh, I, I wasn't even thinking about him. Yes. Mm. Um, so, uh, Derek Lee Reagan uh, famously was one half of a recording or a movie project uh, of Fadinelli's life story. Uh, and a, they, mm-hmm. blended and they blended his a voice with a Mesa Soprano. With a Polish, with a Polish soprano, yeah. actually. Oh, Col- soprano. Yeah, coloratura soprano, yeah. Uh, That was an aria from Hassa's Cleofide. Hassa. All right. Round three. (laughs) I'm really rocking it so far. I'm really excited.
4: She's got a gorgeous voice. Um, uh, can I phone a friend? <laughs> I give you a clue. West, oh, yeah. West
3: Side Story. Oh. What kind of a clue is that, uh, Oliver? Wow. If you listened to the show from a couple weeks ago, you would know. Oh, I, I mean, I, yeah. I was on it, but I don't remember yeah, anything. it. That was the, the Bernstein <laughs> episode.
4: Oh, wait, no, I wasn't on that one. Oh, shoot. Oh, well, that, I, I
0: wasn't. Was, I'm drawing a blank. Too, unfair, so.
4: unfair disadvantage. <laughs> well, I wasn't there. Well, I don't know. Who is it?
3: I picked the clip of her that I played on mm. that episode, so I'm going to say that that was Reregris. That
2: was re-regressed. Let's hear the next clip.
0: So both the operas, but so am I right
3: that that is a recent performance? Uh, um, fairly recent ish, Was that yeah. Was that Julia Bullock?
2: Oh, wow, uh, good guess. Hmm. Um, Weston, that was not correct. You have a guess? Um, uh, no. <laughs> okay, well, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give George a chance to tell us that which operas that he recognizes. Well,
0: the first one was Abduction from the Seraglio, thank you, by Mozart, and the second oh, one Stravinsky. was uh, Stravinsky, yeah, Rake's Progress. Rake's okay, Progress.
2: so here for me in this round are two sopranos, uh, who singing repertoire that we don't normally associate with african-american singers i know that sounds like a total racist thing to say but (laughs) no seriously i think we think of uh, the african-american singers you know uh featured in verity operas puccini operas maybe even uh we hear them in (laughs) spiritual repertoire that's partially because of who
3: who were the first breakthrough stars i would say yeah i mean
2: right but here are two artists that found their own niche uh, and both of them had major careers in Europe. Uh, before they were recognized in America, uh, Riri Greist—I uh, forget her whole story—but she moved to Europe and she had her career over there. And then Barbara Hendricks was the second singer. I never oh, would
3: okay. have—I Im- yeah. never would have guessed Barbara Hendricks yeah. would sing "No Word from Tom." That, yeah, that, well, she yeah. made
2: a movie. Actually, she's she stars as Andrew Love in the movie version of huh. of Breaks um, Progress. There's a movie. I version? mean, what yeah.
3: didn't what didn't Barbara Hendricks <laughs> sing? To be <laughs> honest, but uh, I
2: think both of them have very distinct vibratos. Both of them have very fast vibratos. Um, Rary Grist's voice definitely it has uh, a lot of sparkle yeah Yeah. it's definitely very sparkly it sounds like super sobrette and that's once again coloratura sobrette African American are not things and that automatically. And the story you. of
3: hers that I that I'm familiar with is that she was in the original chorus of West Side Story when mm-hmm. it was on Broadway and was the soloist for the Somewhere ballet. Mm-hmm. Oh. And introduced herself to Leonard Bernstein, sang a clip of Grossmächtige Prinzessin, <laughs> yeah. the uh, the Zerbinetta aria from Ariane of Naxos, and she was like, "By the way, I'm an incredible opera singer." And then <laughs> she went <laughs> she went and sang that at Salzburg. I know yeah. not too long after that. Oh,
2: and such a beautiful woman. Like I love portraits of. Because she has the most amazing eyes and she can give everything about a character with just one look. She's brilliant. Uh, and I, if I ever saw her on the street, I would just bow down and, and start crying. That's how big of a fan I am. It's so.
0: Opera Box Score on W and WNUR 89.3 FM. It's our pop quiz. Oliver Camacho <laughs> in the house, along with Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and myself. He's being okay. So, so now Christ.
2: this is a pretty hard round. Um, oh, this West, is a hard round. Weston, I'm you so can excited. redeem yourself. You might be able to steal Matt's point because Matt's one is really hard too. So let's hear the first clip.
4: Hard one, you say? Yes.
2: Any other bad <laughs> hands for me? Well, um, she sang 18 Seasons" at the Met recently. Uh, I think you might not have been born yet.
4: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if, if before I was born, how would I? How would I know, Oliver? No. How would I know?
0: Is it, is it Kathleen Battle?
4: Oh wow! Um, no, <laughs> no. Even I know that, George. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I, w-
3: I was leaning towards this person before you st- before you gave that okay. hint, just because it's such a warm and plush yeah. Le- yeah. Uh, vocal quality. Yeah.
2: But is it Leona Mitchell? Is Leona Mitchell? Yes. Um, major. I, I've co- never even heard of her. Yeah. Major career in the late '70s, early '80s, uh, and the beginning of the '90s. I would. I think into yeah. the '90s as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, huge career. Um, one that we tend to forget just because there are other huge personalities out of the Met who are African Americans during And right. She was kind
3: of the go-to person for the vir- like the virginal heroine. Yeah, not Madame so Butterfly I think the, it was like one thing she used to sing.
2: And Liu. Yeah.
3: And uh the the I I know that she was in a, a video broadcast of Ernani as well with I wanna say Pavarotti. So she yeah. the kind of bread and butter uh Verdi and Puccini singing and it's beautiful. It's so but uh kind of didn't ever catch fire the way yeah. that you would expect that they, that you could expect someone with that Quality of voice. Yeah. 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 If she was singing today, she'd
2: be like yeah. huge, you know? So, all right, our last clip. So I just want to, I want to say that the first clip we heard, uh, we didn't acknowledge acknowledge that was Puccini, uh, that was Liu's aria Signore Ascolta uh, from a live performance, I think from San Francisco in 1977 or something like that. Uh, Matt, a guess on your So club. this
3: was Dialogues of the Carmelites. Yes. Mm-hmm. And is it is it Mother Marie of the Incarnation? So yes. I one famous African-American singer who I know played that role would be Florence Quivar. Wow. Brilliant. That wow. was wow. a really out, out
2: of the park. Name. So Florence Quivar sang Mother Marie in one of the most amazing casts that the Met has ever put together for uh, a Dialogues of the Carmelites when they used to perform it in English. I think that was from 1994. And if you go to one of those collectors websites like um i forget what they're called um ed rosen's old uh, oh
3: premier yeah. opera yeah, you or can, opera depot yeah or is, maybe on the yeah. met radio you can hear it but like i think that it is up on the met, on the met uh in a live in hd you yeah. can or not the live in hds but on the met player you can stream yeah. a lot of their mm-hmm. old radio broadcasts but that
2: are, what an incredible tone quality what great yeah, diction I, what great intonation like so many things that makes pulank hard she just does so, and the tone just goes on for days, high and low, no register breaks. It's like,
3: it's yeah, I couldn't tell, I couldn't quite tell whether she was a mezzo or a soprano yeah. at first because <laughs> both of the ranges of the the two uh, the the two abbesses are so similar. Yeah, and I <laughs> and actually the first the first person to play the other abbess in in the was Leontine Price. Yeah, and so I was like, really? Oliver, find. Uh, did Oliver find some kind of bootleg recording of Leontine Price sounding nothing like Leontine Price? <laughs> That'd
4: be <But. laughs> a great final twist question.
2: So um, I have to say, the final score is 5 to 0 wow. on African American nice. singers. I wonder how Luther would have done.
4: I'm just impressed. Probably that I better could get than Martina Arroyo. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, uh, uh, I think I had a good run. Uh, I'm just going to quit the show now. It's been a good four seasons, guys. No, uh, you don't need to don't quit the
0: show. You're going to have to earn your shout-out yeah. on the intro. That's true. Norm, that's fair. You, you I haven't have gotten that yet. <laughs> yet
4: when you get on tonight. the board, then you It's okay. I'll uh, I'll do a pop quiz with um, avant-garde uh, German music from the, er, the pre-war years. Oh, it's years. on, dude.
0: Yeah, yeah, the know one th- that's on. So sign me so up. I'll rock that. I would love to do that. Thank you, Oliver Camacho, for a killer pop quiz. That was Literally. awesome. <laughs> hey, has there ever been a sweep of the top three awards at Placido Domingo's operalia competition? Find out next on America's talk radio show about opera on WNUR FM, eighty-nine point three.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
0: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. All right, here's a tip. If you've recently started listening to our show, you already know there's nothing else like it. Week in, week out, you get our panel's hot takes on Opera News in the two minute drill, plus our patented segments like Fantasy Football, Monday Evening Quarterback, and Crunching the Numbers. But you might not know about some of the incredible interview guests who have gone inside the huddle with our team, like tenor Matthew Polanzani, composer Gregory Spears, intendant Kirsten Harms, and countertenor Jakub Joseph Orlinski, to name just a few. Check out the Opera Box Score archives on SoundCloud. Just go to soundcloud.com and search for Opera Box Score. And you can tell us about your favorite interviews on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed.
1: This just in, The Two-Minute Drill.
0: Time now for everything you need to know from the past week in opera land. San Diego Opera has recently announced four new additions to its administrative team. New CFO Jeannie Posner, Alan E. Hicks as the newly created position of director of opera theater, Dominic Domingo as director of artistic administration, and Andrea Puente-Catan as major gifts officer in charge of Hispanic affairs. Mezzo-soprano Emily D'Angelo and tenor Pavel Petrov have just been announced as the joint first prize winners of Operalia's 26th edition. D'Angelo also claimed the Birgit Nilsson Prize, the Pepita M. Bill Prize for Zazuela, and the prize of the audience. First time ever clean sweep. Aidan Lang, who has served as Seattle Opera's general director since 2014, was named as the next general director of Welsh National Opera. He'll leave at the end of this current season. In a statement, he said, quote, Welsh National Opera is where my career began. It's my artistic home and the only other company for which I would consider departing Seattle. Nia Imani Franklin, the new Miss America, crowned last night as a classically trained opera singer with two degrees in composition. She sang an operatic selection from Puccini's La Boheme during the talent portion of the Miss American pageant and even promoted a advocating for the arts platform during the competition. Exit stage right, director Tito Capobianca, who ran San Diego Opera in 1976, followed by 17 years in Pittsburgh. He died at 87. And on this day, that would be... September 10th, the birthday of Sir Thomas Allen, the English operatic baritone. He's 74, and it would be the 70, excuse me, the 85th birthday of Ima Sumac, the Peruvian-American coloratura soprano. She allegedly have a six-and-a-half octave range. Lastly, 1838, the premiere of Berlioz's Benvenuto Cellini. That was in Paris.
1: You're listening to Opera Box School. With George Cedarquest, Tobias Wright, Matt Cummings, Weston Williams, and Oliver the Man. Camacho. Hey.
0: Opera box score. We are kicking off season four tonight. Man. And just just to
2: be clear, one of those octaves is completely off like the chart. It's like in the dog whistle. <laughs> Rain's nuts yeah. is is absolutely so, insane. Let's let's kick do it off. Listen, <laughs> since we have two clips, let's listen to that clip. Let's listen to Ima Sumac This is a soprano who really isn't affiliated with opera that much. She did do some classical concerts and maybe she sang Queen of the Night or something like that. I don't know. But she's one of those singers that like when you are horsing around on with your record player when you're a gay fifteen year old kid <laughs> in the nineties, <laughs> um, you come across as singers like and you think this is so cool, and it's sort of like a gateway drug to Coloratura. To proper color,
7: uh, Here bum bum
2: That is just nuts. She was
3: Mariah Carey before
2: Mariah yeah. Carey. Oh, but she e- goes way higher than that. She goes yeah. like an <laughs> octave higher than that. And she also does crazy stuff where she sings like really gutturally like Tom Waits. It's crazy. Oh, so, oh really? hey, hey, Oliver. I know who that one
4: was. That was uh, Ima Sumac. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Do I get a point she, for that? She's uh, not, not, Peruvian, African-American, not African-American. Yeah. Oh, shoot. Oh, Peruvian-American. Uh, I walked into that quiz with my Lawrence Brownlee and my Marian Anderson and all <laughs> yeah, right. you more <laughs> my my I had Robert McFerrin in the back somewhere. Oh, I was I ready to him. go. I was gonna and, play Simon Estes. Just, that wasn't our tanked, just tanked. Tank. Yeah. What what is the average like vocal range for a professionally trained singer? I think
2: maybe three octaves.
3: Three, three octaves yeah. is pretty it, yeah. like encompasses more than that sounds like it does. Yeah. Oh, what's yeah. what's your range?
4: Uh, <laughs> uh, four notes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, more give or uh, take, you yeah. know,
0: never say never Weston.
4: <laughs> One of these days I'll, I'll have a 12 and a half octave range <laughs> and you'll all be sorry.
0: By the way, now's your chance to call in on air. Get your voice heard Ooh, at 847-866-WNUR is our number in studio. You just heard the two minute drill. Of course, if you're listening live, phone lines are open 847-866-9687. You can also tweet us at Opera. Box score Happy Birthday Sir Thomas Allen.
2: Oh, we're gonna do that now? Okay, yeah, should well, we? Listen Thomas to Allen, yeah, well, let's listen to but let's talk about him a little bit since we have some time today. Go for it. Uh, Thomas Allen, one of the most like elegant and dignified singers ever. Um, him singing leader is enough, but him singing like Mozart, the Count, uh, Eugenio um, Billy Budd. He's mm. on one of
3: the best recordings, if not the best recording, of Marriage of Figaro with the, the Schulte recording. Oh, with, with, with,
2: oh, with Samuel exactly. Raney and, and yeah. Kiryu Yeah, that's incredible. Um, but no, I mean, one of my favorite singers, Like even in his, in his golden years, uh, he's doing some amazing singing. Uh, there is a recital from Wigmore Hall from maybe like 10 years ago or less than that uh, of him singing A Shropshire Lad, which mm. is a song cycle by Benjamin Butterworth. Just find that. Uh, and listen to a man it's, he sounds like a overstuffed leather, well worn <laughs> chair and a, and then a cigar and brandy He's, you know it's amazing, but let's listen to one of the most famous things that Thomas Allen ever sang. Uh, this is the finale of Marriage Free
4: Just to clarify, he did not have as wide a range as, <laughs> <laughs> as, as, as the, the previous one. Um, Man, what a voice. It's so... so... he And he's so noble sounding yeah. and just completely poised. He's one of those singers that's just look really nice to listen to. You know, like, I mean, I, I talk a lot of uh, smack, you know, with all my, you know, uh, late German romanticism, just, just you know, power power crazy. through it, just, yeah. you know. But, but every so often, just listening to a voice like that is just what you need, you know.
2: That yeah. was from a 1987 performance at the Royal Opera House with Carol Vanis singing the Contessa. And for those people who don't know that moment in the opera, that is a moment that, like, just stabs you in the heart and doesn't let go. And, and you will be a puddle of tears it is the moment featured in amadeus yeah and it's actually really hard to pull off that <laughs> elegant of a phrase because leading up to that moment he has to be so angry he's like shouting in the garden asking for everybody to come out and like look at his terrible wife who's disgraced <laughs> his family and you really got to muster up like the rage in that moment and then mozart drops everything it goes it goes almost a cappella i mean he has basically like one or two instruments accompanying him there and you have to come out with the most beautiful elegant phrase that's the ultra mozartian phrase you know and that's a hard thing to pull off you know and he sounded so good that was from a live performance so
0: how crazy is it about emily d'angelo winning three different prizes at the operalia competition (laughs) well it could
2: mean that pausa domingo really likes her (laughs) yeah yeah. one of them was the audience choice right and so but i have to say that i've talked about emily d'angelo before um at least i have on my website um Emily D'Angelo did two years as a fellow at the Ravinia Steens Institute, um, and I heard her both times. And this is just a complete artist. She's very young, uh, but she understands music. She looks amazing on stage, very glamorous tone quality. She's got it all. So I'm I'm very happy that she's being recognized. I
3: watched a couple of videos of her yeah. in preparation for this, yeah. and she she's singing some of the hardest music. Yeah. Just Una voce poco fa, dopo notte from Mario Dante. Like just crazy arias that go all over the place. Looks completely effortless doing yeah. it and gives so much character, even in a concert setting, that, yeah. that she, you know, she, she definitely makes a great presentation. Yeah, she sort of
2: looks like a young Liza Minnelli, except she stands <laughs> way more still than Liza <laughs> <laughs> That's the key difference there. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
0: That, that's awesome. And Miss America is an opera singer. They, are
3: I, I mean, aren't they always? Well, they, this all, one is. they all say they are.
0: <laughs> I,
4: I, I, unfortunately, we could not find a clip of this, but I would love CBS to see it. it so. If you, if you find it, please tweet it at us because we. I'm really sure it'll see make it. the
3: rounds after after people have more time to pirate it onto yeah. the internet somehow. But she, I mean, she has two degrees in composition for <laughs> for
6: Christ's sake. She's African
0: American. Did we mention that? Uh, we oh, we should have put her in the should've. quiz. That um, would have <laughs> been awesome. There was no um, swimsuit competition. Uh, this year, and I think moving forward, actually, they've completely gotten rid of that. One Wouldn't more be... thing that Donald Trump has ruined. Right? <laughs> you know.
3: But like, all jokes aside, representation it matters, and it's good right. to see. That's that is a theme of of this week, and really most weeks. And it's uh, it's good that occasionally a little bit of light shines through.
4: Wouldn't it be great if they just <laughs> gradually, just gradually, just change, uh, just <laughs> shifted the Miss America pageant? into just an opera competition (laughs) i think that's kind of like what my ultimate goal would be if i was in charge then again that's always my ultimate goal for everything i do uh but i think that is definitely viable it's like all right all right now um what arias do you have for me and if they go what's an aria then they're they're out you know (laughs) i
3: think it's a perfect plan and it will only make the numbers uh who watch the show go up I bet if you talk to some young singers who are out there doing the uh, the Met contest, some the, some years they feel like they're being put into a Miss America contest. Yeah.
4: I and feel like it is kind of a it is very much. I mean, yeah. and well, sometimes you know with the costumes and the the yeah. gowns, the gowns they wear, it's kind of like the swimsuit competition. Um, but you know, yeah, whatever. Uh, it's a very difficult, I think, t- uh, thing to really manage. Uh, being a classically trained singer on a stage completely unlike Miss America. So congratulations to her. Uh, But now I think for uh, the San Diego opera, I think there's some interesting uh, shakeups happening there. There's, 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 they, they've not just replaced people, but there's this position here. Uh, Dominic Domingo uh, hired as director of artistic administration and Andrea Puente Catan uh, as major gifts officers in charge of Hispanic affairs, specifically, uh, this is I think something that's really interesting because obviously in a lot of big cities, uh, particularly Chicago, you have a large um, Latin American community, uh, um, and I feel like San Diego
2: kind of making sort of a, a sort of position that yeah, is carving real- out that niche. we'll have to keep an eye on that and report back when we know what uh, that those positions have yielded. Uh, But I think that we have to get to the next segment. Oh, we do. Yes, time flies. Oh
1: goodness! Good call, bad call on Opera Box Score.
0: Oliver, you must have a date or something. No, but we we got a lot to cover. This
2: this is like the biggest good call, bad call of all time. Take it away, (laughs) man. Go for it. Well, uh, okay. Well, on uh, Friday, I was able to attend uh, lyric operas. Uh, Night in the Park, um, Stars Lyric Opera, at Millennium Park, and they staged a bunch of arias, or they performed a bunch of arias with orchestra. So, uh, Janai Bridges uh, substituted for Elizabeth de Chong and sang Mon Coeur, and it was the showstopper, and she had the most amazing gown. Uh, Daniel Denise is back in Chicago, she's singing Musetta at Lyric, and she's opened with O mio Babbino Caro, and then she got to show off a little bit of her Musetta, and I have to say, that um I'm not used to hearing Danielle Denise singing romantic repertoire. I'm used to her singing. It <laughs> is an you odd th- choice. Yeah, like Handel and Mozart and whatnot. And so I was skeptical, but her acting choices in the Bohem, even though it was like only semi-staged, were very strong. And I think she's gonna make a great case for her specifically singing Musetta. Uh Michael Fabiano was the sort of the star of the evening. Uh he sang um Que Jelly de Manina, and then Maria Gresta, who's our Mimi here at Lyric Opera, sang uh, Mi Chiamino. And then they both were in the Act 2. And, uh, yeah, Michael Fabiano going to be singing Rodolfo at Lyric Opera. Finally, Chicago gets to hear this guy before yeah. he blows it all out. He sounds like Carreras. He's a very exciting singer that sings in a lot of capital. Uh, for me, one of the highlights of the evening was um, Ryan Opera Center tenor. Mario Rojas, who just sang the Brindisi from Traviata, but man, what a tone quality, what a stage presence. Uh, I I was really, really excited to hear him on that stage.
0: I am so excited for Thursday. I'm going to go back to Ravinia for the third time this summer. I don't think I've been three times in one summer before.
2: It's a festival, man.
0: Peter Sellers is directing Lagrime di San Pietro, which is an... It's an a cappella
2: piece. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, yeah.
0: and it's fully staged. Uh, Grant Gershon is conducting the uh, Los Angeles Chorale. Uh, I mean, I've seen Sellers' work before. In my opinion, he is the greatest American director that we have at this point. Unquestionably. And I I just cannot wait to see. I'm going with Amy Stebbins, friend of the show, and um, maybe she and I should do a little report on that. Yeah. Yeah. Cannot wait. I mean, I. It'll be better than 50 cent.
3: It's hard. That's hard to top. (laughs) It'll be 75 cent. My good call for the week is for everyone to check out a clip that we're putting onto our website, which is opera singer and former Operalia second place prize winner and Zarzuela prize winner Angel Blue, uh, who sits down and meets a lot of young children who get to ask her questions about what it's like to be an opera singer, uh, some of which are incredibly insightful and pretty much all of which are pretty adorable. And I highly recommend checking this out just to learn a little bit more about what goes into being an opera singer.
0: That's it for this week's edition of America's Talk Radio Show about opera. The general manager at WNUR is Nick Anderson. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook search for Opera Box Score. Be sure to share and comment on our posts. On Twitter we're at Opera Box Score and please leave a review when you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. The creative consultant for Opera Box Score is Oliver Camacho. From Matt, Cummins and Weston Williams. I'm George Cedarquist asking you to continue the conversation about opera in whatever octave suits you best. We're back on Monday September 17, 9 p.m. Central going inside the huddle with soprano Nadine Sierra. Do not miss it. It's WNUR FM Evanston Chicago, Chicago's sound experiment.